Okay, so I have to ask everyone here to bear with me for a couple of reasons. One is this is a new this is this is a new lima, a new a new uh, I don't even want to call it a new type of learning for me. I've never really studied the uh, the Lubavitch Rebbe. Just even going into it, as I mentioned from the first class, there's so many different approaches and so many different works out there. So I I got this book. It's actually a gift from Ray Kanelsky, and I'm like, okay, I'll use this book to prepare. But it's just short ideas. It's called Light Points. He said this is a, a very good book. It's a nice book, but it's not. It's just the short varts, you know, the uh, you know, a thirty-second quip, if you will. Not enough for what we, we wanted. I have this is more excerpts that Rabbi Sachs, one of Rabbi Sachs's first books. So putting it all together, I tried to come up with something. So what I have today, I'll tell you, I have a lot of information in my head. It's not so organized. So together, we're going to learn it, and you're going to forgive me if it doesn't. It's not so clear because I'm still. Figuring this out over the next few weeks. You can forgive me now. You can forgive me Yom Kippur, whatever you want. And also, as a testament to my keyboard aim, how much I respect my mother, I'm recording this class even though I know it's not going to be a, you know, my best class. She wanted to hear it, so this is for her. You know, at, at uh, Zevi's Bris, I got up and said there are two people nervous in this room. I'm nervous because I'm speaking, and my mother's nervous because she's afraid of what I'm going to say. <laughs> I just repeated that, Ima. I just repeated that. Okay. So, where I want to begin with, although we, we haven't discussed the biography of the Baba Terebi, I want to jump into some of the Torah, and then we can get back to the biography in, in future weeks. One of the things the Rebbe really spent a lot of time on, even his discourses began with, was reading Chumash Rashi. To the extent that if you look at the English translation of what the of the Rebbe's Chumash, they build the Rashi into the translation. Not, not, typically, you open an art scroll to know, you know, God said to Moshe. Here, they'll fill in, maybe not in bold, but what Rashi says, because he felt that reading Rashi and very and focusing on Rashi can give you the insight you need into the text. And he very much focused on Rashi. So even when you open up this, this book, which is basically a, a small anthology of varts, of, of nice ideas from the Rebbe, it's very much focused on Rashi. So what I want to do is read a few of them, and then we're going to take that and develop a broader idea that we see how, see how the Rebbe approached uh, one of the essential ideas in Chabad Hasidus. So to begin with, you have to go to where the bookmark is. Look at that. I'm actually going to go one earlier. Okay. Imlovengarti. The Ra, as we know, our parish opens up with this showdown between Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov thinks Esav wants to kill him. Yaakov does a number of things, including sending gifts, uh, praying, and preparing prepare for war. In fact, Chazal tell us that whenever the Jewish people had to send an emissary to Rome, to, for whatever reason, they would reread Parshas Vayishlach. To just kind of see, this is the prototype. This is how we approach war. We prepare for battle, we dive in, and we also try to appease each other, avoid war at all costs. Although, as we say, Aislam Muhammad, the time for war, we don't shirk away from it when the time arrives. So, one of the things Rashi said, one of the things Yaakov says is, Im Lovengarti. I dwelled with Lava. What was his point? Was he just saying, you know, biographically, where, let me just catch you up. Uh, Asaph, where have I been for the last uh, 20-something years? I've been with Lavan, or was he saying more than that? Um, so Rashi says that, a couple things. One is Rashi says, where is it here? 
Garti has the Grammatia, which is a numerical value of 613. Resh is 200. Uh, Tuf is, is 400, so 400 plus 200 is 600. Gimel is 3, Yud is 10, 613. Mean to say, I have lived with the wicked Lavan, but I have kept all 630 commandments and did not learn from his evil ways. Now, if you recall, a couple of years ago, I gave a drush on this. That if, I kept, if Yaakov kept all the commands, what does it mean he didn't learn from his evil ways? So one thing you could say is that you can keep everything to the letter of the law, but still not necessarily live you know, righteous, righteously. But I also spoke of, I, qu- I quoted uh, my, my fa- uh, uh, a man my father has become associated with in business, Nick Meta, where Nick said to my father that the reason he left his country was it was making him a, the person he didn't want to be. Sometimes, so in, in Love and Garden, that, that we, we discussed that in regards to uh, Yaakov leaving Lava. We said if Yaakov lived with Lava and everything was good and well, he didn't learn from his evil, wave, evil ways, and he kept 630 commands, so why is he running? Because it made him to the person he wanted to be. That even though Yaakov was justified for all the, uh, the trickery and the machinations and everything he had to do, but what did that do to him as a person? You know, sometimes we could be right. I was on the phone uh, recently with someone who was in a fight with someone. And I said to them, like, you might be right, but why do you want to live with this in your brain? Like, how, how you can't, it, being involved in Machlokas, even if you're right, it takes away your creativity, it takes away everything, it becomes so focused on the fight, you can't do anything else. So Yaakov said, it makes me the person I don't want to be, so he left. Okay, but that's not what, that's not what we're getting to here. Says the Rebbe, says the Rebbe as follows, that the end of the Pasuk says, Im Lovengarti, and then he says, Next verse, And I have, I have acquired, during this duration of time I met with Lavan, oxen and donkeys, flocks, maidservants, uh, and, and manservants. Okay, what he's probably saying is either he's saying, look, you think I'm the same penniless, poor little brother of yours who ran away. I'm not. I'm a, well, a very wealthy, powerful person. Just be careful. That could be one, one thing he's saying. Or he could be saying, look, I have what to offer you. Like, don't kill me. I'm a very wealthy person. We could do business together. Like, even if you don't like me, sometimes what keeps people together? Money. So you want to keep me around. Says the, the Rebbe, no. What's happening here is as follows. Number one is he says, even though I have spent 20 years in love and company and have amassed much material wealth, oxen, donkeys, flocks, manservants, and maidservants. I look like I'm highly successful. I look like I am a, someone who has been able to live in this land and emerge from it wealthy. Garti. The word garti means sojourned. I never planted my roots here. I recognize where I'm supposed to be, and I recognize that although I'm able to live it with love on it. And by the way, not just no mooch off Lovin and milk Lovin, but Lovin became prosperous because of Yaakov. So Yaakov clearly had everyone's, you know, was willing to look and give to the society around him, but in Lovin Garti, I'm only sojourning here. If I were to give a drasha this week on making Aliyah, you'd know where I'd start from. We're not making, giving a drasha on that this week. But that's the idea, that you can live somewhere and you'd be par- a part of society, but still view yourself as Garti. And then he says as follows, perhaps Yaakov's view of himself as a stranger to Lovin and everything Lovin represented was the secret behind another interpretation for Rashi as well. As we just said, Garti has the numerical value of 613. That is to say, I have lived with the wicked Lovin, but I have kept 613 commandments and did not learn from his evil ways. 
Yaakov's success in maintaining his observance of 613 was due to his firm resolve to keep his relationship with his material affairs in a state of garti, foreignness. He therefore never allowed it to disturb his worship of God and, and could proudly say, despite 20 years of love and company, I kept 613 commandments. What I think is he's saying, again, a couple ways to look at this, but I think mainly what he's saying is, I may be very wealthy, but I'm viewing that as garti. It's, 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 it's temporary. Temporary in the sense, not, I think just, not in the sense of, look, uh, I think there's a country song, you never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. Like, you have, you have what you have in this world, you don't take it with you. You don't take it with you. There's, the, there's a famous uh, uh, story, it's a, probably it's, it's a myth. Insert your wealthy individual name here, Rothschild. Or Reichman, apparently, he said, he, he, he wrote in his final will, please bury me with my socks. Again, I don't whoever it was, but it, for the story's sake, we'll just pretend it was uh, some wealthy person. And the family was very confused because, number one, in Jewish law, we don't bury. We bury with just the, the, the shrouds. That's it. But also, why would he want to be buried in socks? But look, that was his request. They told the Hebrew Kedisha, this very, very wealthy philanthropist who has sustained your institution for the last 20-plus years, he requests he be buried in socks. And the Hebrew Kedisha said, no, we're not doing that. And they said, but you have to. They said, we're not doing that. And so who won out? The Hebrew Kedisha. Either way, when it came time to read the actual will, the lawyer said, I have a letter here from your father that says socks on it. So they opened it up, and the father said, you're probably wondering why I asked to be buried in my socks. And I'll explain to you why. Because I am, let's say, Rothschild, multi-billionaire, philanthropist to many, sustained the poor, and even I couldn't be buried in my socks. So there's that, there's that component. He said, I, I view it as temporary, but I think more than that, I think the bigger challenge of wealth, and this is, again, it's tied together, but the bigger challenge of wealth and material possessions is people often come to identify with what they have and what they own and the amount in their bank account. Who are you? Well, I'm the person who owns this. So that when they lose it, it's crushing. So that when they lose it, it's like, that was part of my identity. Says, love, says Yaakov, how was I able to survive? and live and thrive spiritually in the desolate spiritual wasteland of Lavan's Haran? Because everything I amassed, I recognized temporary, Garti, not mine. It's, that's, that's for, that's nice, it's useful, but it's not, I'm not going to identify with it. That's how the Rebbe opens up the Parsha. We're going to come back to this. Good? One idea. Next idea actually is going to be the Drasha, so we're going to skip it. I thought of it before I saw it here. When the Rebbe says the same thing as the Salvechik and like the Sefer Chinuch and everyone else, you know it's a good idea. Okay. One of the more troubling parts of this week's parsha, and probably Boratius in general, is the story with Dina. For those, Dina. Who was here when Rebetzin Rosenzweig spoke? Rebetzin Rosenzweig, the speaker series about uh, two weeks ago? Oh, yes. So she spoke about this. The story with Dina. Dina goes out. And she gets abducted by Shechem ben Hamar. She gets raped. Then the brothers go into adventure blood. The story in itself, it's very ambiguous who was right. If you recall from the story, Yaakov says, what did you do to me? You're going to have all the nation, all the surrounding tribes are going to attack us for wiping out Shechem. Which could either be read as, how dare you do this grave violation? Or it could be read as, look, maybe you were right, but it was a bad tactical move. And the brothers respond, we don't want to turn our, daughter, our, our sister into a zona and into, into a prostitute. And Yaakov doesn't respond. Does he not respond because he had his final say and he wasn't going to respond to the ridiculous request and claim? Or did he not respond because he's like, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Who knows? A lot of relevance to current events. 
But in the beginning of the story, Rashi says something that really is bothersome. Rashi says his follows. Well, the Pusik first. Again, as we said, for the Rebbe, Rashi is a starting point. But Tetzi Dina Bas Leif. Dina one day decides she's going to go out. She goes out to see the daughters of the land. She wants to go on a walk. On the Shpatzir, all good and well. Says Rashi. Says Rashi. You know what I want to do? I want to read this Rashi inside. In, in the Hebrew. Because it's always good to have the original. Primary source, right? This is in Parshas by Yetzay. Perik Lamedal, that's 34. Aleph. Says Rashi. She, she goes out. Lo Bas Yaakov. So he says, Rashi wants to know why does it say Bas Leia, the daughter of Leia, and not Bas Yaakov? It says the daughter of Leia who was born to Yaakov. Typically, the Torah usually calls someone by their father's name. Ella, I did see us Nikra Bas Leia. He goes, why? Because the fact she went out, she's called Bas Leia. Just like her mother also went out. Just like her mother also went out. Mean to say as follows that. Her mother, it seemed, it's a disapproving. Her mother used to go out, and it was inappropriate. I don't know, called Kavod Basmelch Panima, the place for a, a, a woman is supposed to be in the home. She decides to act like her mother and go outside. So she's, she get, basically, she, brought, she brought, brought it upon herself that she did what was inappropriate, and that was going out and not being sinuous and whatever, whatever you want to put here. Talk about victim blaming. Like, she shouldn't have gone out. In fact, she went out. So that's kind of why it happened. And the, w- the way we allude to this, we say just like her mother also used to go out, so to, so to her. What do you think of that? <laughs> right? It's a little troublesome. So listen to what the Rebbe says. The Rebbe says as follows. The Rebbe says, I... And this is, this is actually another very important principle from the Rebbe. We're going to talk about this in other contexts. The Rebbe was very, very careful about language and not speaking negatively. He wouldn't call a, a hospital, a Beit Cholim, a, a house of, which in Hebrew is a house of sick. He called it Beit Refuah, right? A, a, a healing. The way he spoke was, so we said, now, where did he learn this from? Because the Torah itself, there's a whole two pages in the beginning of a tractate Psachim talking about the importance of speaking, but Lush and Saginahar. What is that, Lush and Saginahar? So instead of saying someone's blind, we say, Saginahar, they can see. That's a euphemism for being blind. The Torah is very careful about always using clean language to the extent that the Torah doesn't say an animal is not kosher, the camel doesn't say an animal is tamay, the Torah calls it. Not kosher. Not kosher. Meaning to say, we're not going to say it's impure. We'll say it's not pure. Lo tahar. Not pure. How you convey things is very important. So the Rebbe says, you're going to tell me the same Torah that goes out of its way to use extra words to say an animal is not pure, rather than saying impure, is going to say something negative about Dina? Can't be. Can't be. So what's going on here? It must be that the Torah associates Dina's conduct with Leah as an indication of praise. As praise, meaning to say, just as Leah's motives were admirable when she went out, she desired and was seeking means to increase the number of tribes. In that scenario, Dina's intentions were noble too. What were her intentions? When Yaakov prepared his family to meet Esav, he hid Dina in a crate. Right, that was one of the things he hid Dina in a crate so Esav wouldn't see her and say, "I want no, give me, the, give me your, give me your daughter, give me your daughter." Yaakov was later punished by doing so 
Because had they married, Dina might have positively influenced the wicked Esau. Dina might have positively influenced the wicked Esau. Certainly, if Dina's chances of affecting Esau were slim, Yaakov would not have been punished for hiding her. Evidently, Dina's remarkable character meant that she was more than likely to succeed in transforming the wicked Esau had she been given the opportunity. How was Yaakov punished? How was he punished? I don't remember what Rashi says. I apologize. As such, we can understand that Dina's excursions were likewise motivated by her ability to affect people outside the pure environment of her family. She did not go out to see the daughters of the land in order to see and be, so, and to be seen among them or to acquaint herself with their ways, but rather to attract them to hers, the righteous path of Yaakov. Indeed, like her mother, Dina went out with the purest of intentions. He flips it. He flips to talk about Dina went out into Shechem, a city that clearly lacked morals, the fact that they raped this woman and then were willing to all convert just for pleasure's sake, but she went out in order to influence them. Why do I think this is so important and so uh, essential, if you will, to Chabad's mission? I think synonymous with Chabad and anyone think you say, what is Chabad? People, what, one of the first things that jumps to mind is Elliot. No, is Kira. Is Shluchim, the idea of a Shliach. Now, if you take a step back, which we're going to do right now, we've we got time. The whole idea of a Shliach, it's very, it's an interesting idea, and you can probably think of, and I'll ask open to you, what sort of criticisms do you think would be leveled against this idea of Shluchim? And don't think of your shliach who lives in East Brunswick who sends their kid to the yeshiva a half hour away or the one who lives in New York City who sends their kid to the yeshiva down the block. How about think of the shliach who lives in Bozeman, Montana or the shliach that lives somewhere in Nepal or the shliach who lives in Tanzania if there is one in Tanzania. So there's one. There's the, uh, wherever, whenever you engage and we call, let's call it... Um, uh, working and, and, and uh, having fr- fraternity with those who aren't pure, who aren't religious, there is the uh, issue of you know, influence. But I think, let's just take a step before even that. It, correct. But even before that, where does the shliach send his kid to school when he lives in Nepal? Beish Yaakov, Nepal? The Exactly. There is no school. So number one is recognized... They have their own school. Exactly. Not, not if they're the only shliach and the only time they have visitors is when the Israelis show up on their summer vacation. Homeschooling. Homeschooling. Meaning to say, just first of all, to recognize, oftentimes these shliach will move places. There's no daily minion. There's a minion maybe during, during vacation season. If they're in a vacation uh, no, hotspot. There's no school. So either they're sending their kids away from home when they're a little older, when they're younger, there is no school. It's a tremendous sacrifice. But you can clearly, you can definitely hear criticisms of what right do you have to help others before you help your own family. But I think the b- bigger criticism, or a- another criticism leveled against him, is going to be the influence that you are basically opening up your home to to people who don't live your lifestyle, who don't have your values, and it, and you're. It, you're not just, not just you're having them in your office, you're giving a shear, you're opening up your home, your impressionable young kids are going to be exposed to this. And let's just not, let's not forget, this is crucial. Chabad is, are not modern Orthodox Jews. 
who straddle two worlds, who believe in Torah and Mada, who have degrees and education. In fact, the Rebbe was very against college, even though he himself had a degree. Chabad is, as we've been saying, chasidus. The only reason they don't wear a strimal is because in the, one, of the, one of the things the Rebbe said when he came to America was the chasidim should stop wearing strimals in order to look a little bit more American. But you look at the early pictures of Chabad Rebbe, they wore strimals. One can even say, this is a sociological comment, that in a way, it doesn't sound... It's, it, would, it sounds ironic and wrong, but in, from an, internally, Chabad and Satmer have more in common than Satmer and other Hasidus. Satmer being the anti-Zionist. They don't get along, but I'm just saying uh, sociologically. The, what, they're, 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 what is Brooklyn? No, that's that as well. But I'm saying the, the Satmer who have their enclave in, in, in Kiraz Yoa. I mean, they also are in Linden, but they're, they're looked at as one of the more uh, insular Hasidus. Sociologically, there's a lot of overlap. In fact, there was a book I read a few years ago. Um, it was called, I think, Chassidus on the Margin. Not Chassidus on the Margin. It's a different book. Um, see, my mother's listening. She gave me the book, so she'll know, she's going to correct me. Uh, uh, Degrees of Separation, a book about um, uh, mainly religious Jews, primarily in the Hasidic world, who, who leave faith. But the argument was most people don't just leave don't leave faith to slam the door. But there's degrees of separation. They he makes his argument that they leave faith, but they don't leave the religion. That as well. well that, there's that element as well. But he makes the argument that Chabad and and and, and Satmer, there's a lot of similarities. So with that mindset, you're telling a Hasidic Jew who we are known for their insularity, are known that they want to erect walls to keep out foreign influences, oh, move somewhere random, open your home up, bring in people who have totally alien values. No way. You can hear where there's going to be criticisms. You can hear where it's... There's, so that's one. There's another... By the way, there's another criticism. This is less a criticism directly and more of... There's another way of looking at the, our, what is our, our, our tafkid, our role in Judaism. We're going to bring it all together. In 1941, there were two great Eastern European rabbis who arrived on the shores of New York. Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, i.e. the Lubavitch Rebbe, although then he was not the Lubavitch Rebbe, he was Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the son-in-law of the Lubavitch Rebbe. He was coming from Paris. And Rav Aaron Cutler, who founded Base Medrash Gavoa, effectively founded the Lakewood community, although in an uh, interesting historical I don't want to exhibit, there was a point where Chabad entertained the possibility of moving to Lakewood prior to, to Rav Aaron Cutler. Lakewood was a resort community. It was a Jewish little homewack-like hotel there, resort community on the lake, I assume. I assume there's Lake and Lakewood, and there is. And Chabad, at one point, there's a picture of the uh, Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, in Lakewood, I think for Shabbos, checking it out. So that's just an interesting tidbit. They couldn't have been more different when it came to their approach to Judaism. Let's, I want to tell you about Rav Aaron Cutler a little bit. Rav Aaron Cutler was, comes to America and he basically says, we need and we must rebuild Torah Jewry. That not only were, no, and this is 1941, but not only were so many Jewish lives lost, and he, and he, this is the message he pushed until he passed away, but we need to rebuild that so many yeshivas, the yeshivas of Lithuania, of Lita, of that world, have been destroyed. And the only way Torah Jewry is going to survive is if we can rebuild it on the shores of America in what was known as, in the world of Lita, the Trefa Medina. Why? Because so many people came here and, and became secular. 
By the way, in contrast, the Rebbe's going to look at America as a land of opportunity because think of all the Chabad houses and not what you can have. Two different approaches. But the trade, we, the only, and the only way to rebuild it is if we can create an institution where people are devoted with the sole pursuit of learning Torah. Or they would say, let the way you learn Torah. And not just any Torah, but Torah lishma, Learning Torah for Torah's sake. And if we can't do that, we cannot perpetuate Jurin. And if, there is definitely an element of, of, of the reason we are around now, and the reason this happened was because there were people like Ravarin Cutler who built institutions. There are people like the Hasidic Rebbe who came after who built institutions that were de- solely devoted to this, this endeavor and enterprise of learning Torah. And it created a whole world of Torah. Rishalvechik also. Again, it wasn't the same Torah Lishma at all. But although he came from that world and he believed in it, but he believed Torah Umada, not a discussion for now. Or I'm, I'm getting to, uh, let's not get too historical. Okay, fine. Ravarin Cutler disagreed with the Rebbe on many, uh, for many reasons. But one of the reasons was the role, you want to influence the Torah world. You want to influence the Jewish world writ large. You want to influence the world? The way to do that is not by opening up a Chabad house. It's not by teaching others, but it's about focusing internally inward, keeping, out all, out, keeping all outside influences at bay, and learning Torah. And the merit of the, the spiritual merit will, on the one hand, allow us to perpetuate. But also, by creating this cadre of people learning and a generation of it, that, it's, it's a, much slower, a, much, a much slower process, but that will slowly build outwards till you have what you have now in a lake where they call the Irshah Torah, with this tremendous community that's so focused on Torah. At this point, most of the lake was not learning. But it, it emerged from, you know, as an outgrowth of the yeshiva. And again, it's much bigger, and people aren't even connected to the yeshiva anymore. But his point was it's a slower process. It's a generational process of focusing inwards, and slowly that will have this effect. In fact, there's a, there's a story they say over. One of the th- reasons, it tells two things. One is Ravaran was known as an ish He was a very, very uh, MS, Yasher, truthful person. He, he couldn't lie. If you see a picture, he looks like this, this very severe look with these piercing blue eyes. He, you can see it, look at a picture of him afterwards. He didn't, so two things happened. He, and this tells you both. One was the yeshiva made a brochure, um, printed a brochure about thousands of, 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 of um, brochures, and on the front cover was an artist's rendition of the yeshiva. And Yaron looked and he goes, there's a tree there. He said, yeah, because the there's no tree at the, in the yeshiva. Who put the tree in the picture? He said, well, the artist put it there to make the yeshiva look nicer. So we can't use this. It's not, that's not Emma's. People are going to look at it, look, the sheep looks a certain way, maybe they'll give because they're taken by the fact the trees are. That's going to lend some sort of influence on them. That's not, that's Sheker. That's not Emma's. 99% Emma's is 100% Sheker. 99% uh, truth is 100% loss, was, you know, is what he was effectively saying. There was a point where they wanted to get accredited, which they, they do have accreditation, from the New Jersey Board of, I guess, Education. So Ravaran went down to meet with the commissioner. And he didn't speak a word of English. He was a European refugee, so he brought someone from the, uh, who did speak English, and it was Irvin Bunim. It was Irvin Bunim to go with him to be the translator. Irvin Bunim says to this uh, guy, look, we have this yeshiva, and we're producing uh, te- rabbis. And Ivarin understood enough English and says, Vos? So the guy said, the commission, we're producing rabbis. He says, no, nay, nay, nay. We have yeshiva for Torah Lishma to learn Torah. So the commissioner said, what did the rabbi say? He goes, oh, he said, we're 
We're produ- no, I messed up. He said, we're producing rabbis to become teachers and rabbi and, and, and rabbis throughout America. So Rabbi goes, no, Dari Lishma. So what did he say? He goes, oh, he said, we're not producing rabbis for across America. We're just producing teachers. The Rabbi says, what did you say? So he said, I told them we're producing teachers. He goes, nay, Dari Lishma. So the commissioner said, what did he say? He goes, we're not really producing teachers. It's producing people who are learning, who are going to influence. Rabbi goes, Tara Lishma. Zehu. Tara Lishma. That's what we're doing. If they happen later to become rabbis, maybe. If they happen, Torah Lishma, the point is to focus solely on learning. That was Ravaran's mantra. In fact, I have here a quote from one of the Mishnah Ravaran. What, what Lakewood did, which is a brilliant idea, is they hired one person. This person happens to be my cousin's father. He's in charge of the, the institute of all of Ravaran's writing. Ravaran was a voluminous writer. Um, most of what he wrote wasn't published when he was alive. You have, someone had to go, go, take down all these notebooks, take down other people's notebooks of his writings, and, and produce it. What happened with Ray Salvechik is every other person decided to do, who was a Talmud the Rav, decided to do this. So nothing's organized in this way. You have Rav Reichman has his notes, Rav Shech has his notes, everyone has their own different notes. In Lakewood, it all went through this one publishing house, Mishnah Sarvarin, Rabbi Tzvika Rapper, my cousin's, uh, my cousin's uh, father. It's very organized. So in Mishnah Sarvarin, he writes as follows. This is this. The kiyum ha'uma tali b'tam Torah. The the kiyum, the um, our nation's ability to survive, the survival of our nation, is contingent upon learning Torah. V'amru chazal, listen to this Gemara. He says the Gemara in Gittin on page Chesam and Alf on eighty-eight one says. Quoting a pasuk in Daniel, Hashem uh, oversaw the evil on us, and he, but but and he brought it on us because Hashem was righteous. Funny pasuk says the Gemara that God oversaw the evil because He's righteous. What's going on here? So the Gemara says as follows: That God, God exiled the sages of the Jewish people prior and then along with the, the rest of the Jewish people. That the only way Ryan goes on to say, based on the Gemara, that we survived was because the, our sages went into exile with us. And they were able, therefore, to continue the Mesorah. It's interesting, we'll, we'll see in a few, week, well, in a few weeks, that before Yahweh goes down to Mitzrayim, he sends down Naphtali ahead of him to set up a yeshiva. That's what Rashi says. Learn you also, by the way, you see it in um, in, in Europe that all during the the, the uh, I guess the sunset of European Jewry, as the war uh, the war approached, the shadow of war approached, all the yeshivas gathered in Vilna. Discuss this in other contexts. All gathered in Vilna to continue learning. And then what happened? One of the great miracles of the war was Sugihara got visas for the mirror yeshiva. At that point, it wasn't just the mirrors, but it was really, it was, it was basic, it was a lot of yeshivas who were all learning under the auspices of Mir who went to Shanghai. And then where did all those, from, those Rabbana from Shanghai go? Those young, or then the young lions from Shanghai? They moved pretty much to America. And mo- many of the yeshivas in America that survived, many of them took names of Europe, were because of the, these Bachram, these boys who went to Shanghai, who came to America and replanted the seeds in, uh, in America. The, whenever we go into Gullus, our Talmud Chacham go with us. Narayan goes on, he waxes and on with the importance of Talmud Torah. That's through Talmud Torah we survive. And God ensures that we will survive always 
ensures we go into Gaulus with it. And therefore he says, and therefore, the greatest salvation that we can do for our people, and this is something we talk about even nowadays as Israel is in peril, is to strengthen the halls of Torah and those who are delving into the depths of Torah. Because this is the, this is the life force for the entire nation. Because all our souls are really tied together. We're not separate souls. We're all one soul. In Knesset Yisrael, the body of the Jewish people has one soul. And how great are those who are, those who are strengthened in the Torah and learn in Torah day and night. For Avaram, the be-all be and end-all was Talmud Torah. Which you can imagine what happens when he looks at the Rebbe, saying, well, what does it mean, what does it mean to go out and do Kirov? You're not around a yeshiva. And you're not going to be spending your time learning Torah all day. You have that. And on top of that, you also have, I think, the earlier critique of how can you open your home up to this effectively outside influence. So how do, what, what would the Rebbe's response be? So I don't know what his response would be yet, because I'm still learning this. However, I have an idea. The Rebbe, in a talk in 1986 at the Kinnis HaShluchim, the Kinnis HaShluchim is the great convention where all the Shluchim come together. It happened a few weeks ago in, uh, I think in Bellwork Lab, maybe. Bellwork, I don't know, somewhere around here. It happened, but they all come together from all over the world. He dressed and he said, the mitzvah hadar, our mitzvah of this generation is to be Shluchim. He says something very interesting. I'll read it to you. He says, Mi'ozmikodim. It has always been that there were always many people, we are great people, who were involved in in the needs of the tzibor, the needs of the congregation. It's always been that way whenever you look around from time immemorial, we had those people who they were involved in the tzibor. But they were always very worried and doing things for the good of the, of the, of the tzibor, of the, of the congregation. But generally, it was people who were worried about a specific congregation, a specific tzibor. The rabbi of Linden is involved in the communal aspect of Linden. The rabbi of Ottawa is involved in the communal aspect of Ottawa. That's just generally the way it is. He goes, however, there's something unique about our generation. Again, he's looking at all the shlichim in 1986. If you want a quick history of the, of the shlichim, there's about over 2,000 Chabad houses now. The first Chabad house, which was a, a phrase coined in, uh, I believe, UCLA, in UCLA, um, in the year in the year in 1950s, uh, 19, sorry, in 1969, he, he, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Kunin, on UCLA, he um, or uh, he um, he uh, made the first Chabad house, and then in 1960, in 1960s, interesting, the Lubavitch leader invited Joel Levine and Rivka Tights Blau of Elizabeth. To a private meeting in order to learn more about how to attract non-observant Jews to Jewish activities. So the Rebbe was very invested in this. But the Rebbe writes as follows. The mitzvah gedola, he says, something unique in our generation. Musa chadash. Hashluchim, avreichem uvacharim ayotzim yartzam, melamdim uveis avichem. These are shluchim who leave everything. Imagine that. You're, you're moving to Bangkok. Uh, you know, you're moving to wherever it may be. You're, you have no family. You have nothing there. It's, they leave their house, their father's house, right, invoking the... The words from, from the Chumash. 
כדי לדואג לצורכיו הרוחדים והגשמים של כלל ישראל בכל מערכבי טבל. כדי לקרוא על הספירטואל ופיזיקל ולבינג של כל ג'ו בכל מקום. בכל מדינה ובכל עיר ועיר, בכל מקום ובכל מקום. It's not just, oh, I happen to be the rabbi of X, Y, or Z, or I happen to be involved in this community, the president of, of this show, so this is what, no, these are, it's just open, open door, open door. So he talks about the importance of this. And then he goes on, and he says two things. One is he says, that, what's the word shliach mean? Elliot, shliach, a messenger. Halachically, a messenger, we say, shluach shal adam kemoso. The messenger of a person is like, is like the emissary himself. Meaning to say, if I were to appoint Elliot to give Stan money, it's as if I gave Stan the money. It's as if I gave Stan the money. Which is why if, some, if uh, Reuben appoints Shimon to give, an, give a get to his wife, to, give, to Reuben's wife, it's, it's not like, oh, Shimon gave the get to Reuben's wife. No, Reuben gave the get just through a messenger. So Rebbe goes on to say that you were all shlichim of God, that you're God's messengers, and you're also shlichim of the Rebbe. He was talking about his father, the previous Rebbe, which means that he empowered them and said it's as if the Rebbe's involved too. That's an interesting, interesting idea. But he goes on to say as follows. If you look in last week's Parsha, we find Yitzchak sends his son Yaakov, V'yishlach Yitzchak as Yaakov. And Yitzchak sends Yaakov. And he says, I'm, very, I, I'm confused. Why would Yitzchak send Yaakov to find a wife in another place? He was living in Israel. Life was good. Spiritually robust sitting at the feet of his father Yitzchak, living in Beersheba, the holiest place. The Yitzchak's there. And you're going to send your son to Haran, into the depths of, of, of Haran? How can, that, how can you do that? Meaning, let's, the, the nimshal, if you will, you're living in Crown Heights, you're living in Yerushalayim, you're living in Morristown, to send you to Las Vegas, Nevada? Really? You're going to do that? And not just like make a Chabad house on the, on, the, on, on the border of the city. Like Mamish in Las Vegas, like on the strip, you're going to put the Chabad house. How about Siberia? Or, or Siberia. You know, it's interesting it doesn't say he went Lachar, and he said he goes into Haran. Mamish goes into the depths of Haran. Into the depths of Haran. How can this be? How can this be? How are we doing with time here? And the Rebbe goes on to say, as always, now we're out of time. The Rebbe goes on to say, or out of time, that that's precisely the point. That's precisely the point. The point is, you went. That we, we, our neshamas, he says, where are they? They're up in heaven. They're in the, the bare sheva of heaven, in the holiest place. And God says, you have, a mess, you have a mission. Go down to earth. You're my messenger, says God to our neshama. Go down to earth, go into a physical existence. Go into a physical body with all the temptations of the world, with all the, with, with the foreign values of the world assailing us. You're supposed to go into that and be a, and to live life. And the Rebbe said the same way our neshamas are on shlichus, which is interesting, which is our neshama all have a unique mission. We are now have to go into Haran as well and extend that as a shliach of God and go, and go in there as well. We do that as well. That's just part of what it means to be alive, to, to give back, to be, to be human. It's not just that we're going to live our life insular in our community, but the same way our, our souls. You can say, soul, how can you go into this world? Because that's what God did to us. We have to be shlichim as well. And perhaps... What the Rebbe would say is, what the Rebbe would say is, how is it that, uh, how do you stay spiritually strong? Well, that's how you open the parish up. If you always view yourself as in love and garti. That you might have a mass possession, but in garti. I'm only sojourning here. I'm not identifying with it. I'm recognizing that part of me belongs elsewhere. So then you can stay strong. You can build this, you can build this sort of, um, 
uh, cocoon and bubble where you can let people in, but you still know your values and stay, and, and, and stay strong. I was going to tie this into Hanukkah. So, so in yeah. 17, the word um, uh, messenger, can you use the word missionary? Yeah, but that's a, that's a little bit the, the negative it's connotation too, there. It's too Christian. Yeah, like but that's, in a way, there is an element to that. Yeah. I, I was going to talk more about Hanukkah. But I, 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 let's say that for next week because it all ties. It, it ties in very well with Hanukkah. So I want to just take. I want to add one last piece in here. I found an op-ed written by Chabad Rabbi in 2022, so last year, before the Knesset Shluchim. He said there's a big problem in the Chabad community. The problem is, he says, threefold. At this point, there are more Chabad couples than there are locations to go. They've maxed out. They've maxed out, which is why they're all moving to Hillside. You're on all 50 states. They're everywhere. He said, what that's leading to is people who are getting very disenchanted with the whole Chabad system because they're like, I'm never going to be a shliach. So, and this whole system seems to be geared so much to learn and to go out. So, and people are getting disenchanted with it. It's leading, he said, to people who basically are spending their time waiting for the call to come. Preparing themselves to go on shlichos, mentally psyching themselves up that we're going to go and move far away, never buying apartments, never buying homes, living in apartments, because what's the point of, of, of you know, setting down roots here in uh, New York? When I, who knows where I'll end up? And then the call never comes. And they never get a proper job, and they never, they never learn. You know, if, you're, if you're on shlichos, you have a job. I mean, the, the model is that I think they give you the initial seed money you have to raise the rest. But in this, in this case, he said they, they're, just, they're, they're not doing that. They're waiting for the call to come. And lastly, he says there are a number of people who basically say, look, I'm not shliach material. So I'm just going to go into business. And shliach will be for my brother, my uncle, my cousin, someone else, but not for me. So this threefold problem, again, of people who are just disenchanted, people who are like, I'm never going to be a shliach, so why bother? People are like, shliach, I'm not shliach material, so I'm just going to go into business. And they just don't, have nothing to do with the whole shliach Kiro of teaching Torah at all, and people who are waiting for the call to come. Interesting, this is, uh, again, this is an internal Chabad problem. And what this rabbi argued was, as the rabbi said, the, the mitzvah of our generation is being a shliach doesn't mean you have a Chabad house in wherever you know, zip code or country you are. We're all on shlichas. As the rabbi said, our, the whole idea is our souls are on shlichas in our bodies. We all are on shlichas, the very fact we're in this world means we can be a shliach of God, like a shliach, a messenger of God. We are supposed to bring light. We are supposed to bring the ideals of Torah. We are supposed to bring Torah to wherever we're going and however, whoever we encounter. Every opportunity is a shliach. I once heard, I think it was Avram Fried, it was Chabad, say that, I believe the Rebbe said to him, your shlichos is not to have a Chabad house in, in Melbourne, Australia. Your shlichos is to travel the world singing and bring light and bring Torah, and bring Chabad, and bring godliness to the world. as we said, to spread the wellsprings of Chasidas. That's your shlichos. And if we think about that, that means each one of us in this room, were a shliach. Yeah, are any of us here going to ever be a Chabad chassid? I assume not. Are we going to ever have a Chabad house? Definitely not. That would be a real, a real switch one day. Y'all come here and there's a Chabad house, flag outside. But that doesn't mean we're not a shliach, because we all have a mission. And that part of that mission is to go into the world, interact with others, and through interacting with others, you bring a little bit more godliness to where they are. So that's part one, if you will, on shlichas. Questions, comments, or thoughts?